The Tudors are probably the most famous, the most talked about royal dynasty in England's or indeed in Britain's history. Yet they didn't arrive on the throne through the natural line of succession. Their arrival was entirely due to victory on the battlefield during the medieval civil war known as the Wars of the Roses. It's not that the Tudors didn't have a claim to the throne, it's just that they didn't have the best claim to the throne. In 1485, Henry Tudor defeated King Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth Field. Ostentiously, Henry represented the hopes of the House of Lancaster against the House of York in this dynastic civil war. These two houses represented warring factions within the royal house of Plantagenet. Yet, as Henry's surname and the new dynasty made very plain, he wasn't a Plantagenet. He was a Tudor. Victorious on the battlefield Henry may have been, but secure he was not. For a start, just how legitimate was his Tudor claim? Well, Henry's claim to the throne of England was through his mother, Margaret Beaufort. She was a descendant of the illegitimate line of John of Gaunt, Duke of Lancaster, the third son of King Henry III of England. The House of Lancaster were the descendants of John O'Gort's legitimate line. The House of York, including the now dead Richard III, were also legitimate descendants of Edward III. It was just that the brutal Wars of the Roses had eliminated all the legitimate Lancastrian descendants. So by default, the only male relative of John of Gaunt left standing was Henry Tudor. Whilst he had the royal blood of Edward III in his veins, that was only due to John of Gaunt's extramarital activities. So how solid was his claim, seeing he was, he was actually the illegitimate great-great-great-grandson of Edward III? Compare that to the House of York. Richard III's father, Richard of York, had a straight and legitimate line back to Edward III, both through his father and through his mother. Thus too, obviously, did his children, Edward IV, Richard III, uh, the Duke of Clarence, Margaret, Duchess of Burgundy, and Elizabeth de la Pole, and all of their offspring. Putting it very frankly, Henry Tudor's claim to the throne was weak compared to theirs. The practical reality is that his claim to the throne had a lot more to do with him killing Richard III at Bosworth Field than having a river of blue blood running through his veins. But that was... The reality, in 1485, he was the winner at Bosworth. He had literally had the crown placed on his head. And moving quickly, he was crowned King Henry VII at Westminster Abbey on the 30th of October, just a couple of months after that victory at Bosworth Field. Next, he moved to secure his legitimacy and that of his future dynasty by um, strengthening his royal credentials. So in January 1486, just three months after his coronation, five months after his victory on the battlefield, Henry married Richard III's niece, the daughter of Edward IV, Elizabeth of York. Their children would have the blood of both the House of Lancaster and the House of York in their veins. Symbolically, Henry created a new emblem to show this unity. The Tudor Rose combined the Red Rose of Lancaster and the White Rose of York. Whilst marrying Edward IV's daughter would add legitimacy to his children and indeed his dynasty, it did not mean the Yorkist threat had been removed. 
just because Richard III was dead didn't mean to say the Yorkist cause was lost forever. Richard had left five nieces and far more importantly, five nephews. All the Yorkists needed to do was rally around another leader. But who? Well, the most obvious candidate was the son of Richard III and Edward IV's brother, George Duke of Clarence, the young 10-year-old Edward Earl of Warwick. The problem was apart from his young age, his father had died a traitor and therefore technically Edward was ruled out of the line of succession. Nevertheless, Henry took no chances and immediately after his victory at Bosworth, he had the young Earl of Warwick arrested and taken to the Tower of London for safekeeping. There was however a far more dangerous threat. The four sons of Elizabeth de la Pole, sister of Richard III and Edward IV. At 25 years of age, the eldest brother, John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln, was just three years younger than Henry himself, more than an adult and capable of leading an armed revolt. Well, let's face it, we've just seen Henry do so. Moreover, there was no ambiguity over whether he was in the line of succession or not, unlike his cousin, the Earl of Warwick. In fact, his claim was so strong that when Richard III's son had died, Richard had made John de la Pole heir presumptive. All right, his claim came through his mother, Elizabeth de la Pole. But as Henry Tudor was basing his claim through his mother, Margaret Beaufort, he couldn't really use that card against the Earl of Lincoln, could he? And alongside John de la Pole were his three brothers, Edmund, William and Richard. Enough to make Henry pause for thought. And then there was another intriguing possibility. Edward IV had two sons, Edward and Richard, brothers of Elizabeth of York, who was now married to Henry VII. In fact, the elder of those brothers, Edward, had succeeded his father as Edward V. However, Uncle Richard had usurped the throne, claiming that um, his brother Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville's marriage was invalid, and therefore Edward V and his younger brother were out of the line of succession because they were illegitimate. The brothers were placed in the Tower of London and never seen again, and Richard became the king. Most people believed they'd been killed, and most fingers pointed at the newly crowned Richard III. But what if Edward V or his brother hadn't been murdered? Okay, there might be a question over their legitimacy uh, based on that marriage thing, but then once again, Henry Tudor's line came from the illegitimate grandchildren of Edward III. And in fairness, uh, these two missing princes, their father was most definitely a legitimate king. So what if they were alive and waiting to return? Enter Lambert Simnel. In May 1487, 18 months after Henry's coronation, a rival was proclaimed king. Lambert Simnel was born of humble origins, but a priest by the name of Richard Simon had tutored him with enough you know, learning and reading and etiquette to pass him off as a noble. It was a gigantic hoax. After initially claiming that he was Richard of York, the younger of the princes in the tower, uh, the priest Simon changed the story and claimed that Lambert Simnel was in fact Edward, Earl of Warwick, who had escaped from the tower. Simon took Lambert Simnel to Ireland, where there was still strong Yorkist support, and there on the 24th of May, 1487, in Christchurch Cathedral, Dublin, Lambert was crowned King Edward VI. And there in Dublin, he was joined by none other than John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln, supported by 2,000 crack Swiss mercenaries, paid for by Richard and Edward's other sister, Margaret, Duchess of Burgundy. 
Did the Earl of Lincoln really believe that this was his cousin, the Earl of Warwick? Or did he see him just as a useful pawn in his own ambitions for the throne? Well, we'll never really know. What we do know is that on the 4th of June, Simnel, the Earl of Lincoln and their Swiss, Swiss mercenaries and a force of Irish landed in Lancashire. Covering an impressive 200 miles in five days, they crossed the Pennines onto the east side of England and then moved south, pushing a royalist army back through Sherwood Forest uh, to Nottingham Castle. By now, however, the main royalist army, led by Henry himself, was moving up from London to relieve the force at Nottingham. On the 15th of June, 1487, Henry moved his army eastwards from Nottingham towards Newark, following the south bank of the River Trent. And just outside the village of East Stoke, they found the rebel army, which had crossed the Trent, formed up, ready for them. The Royalist army of 12,000 outnumbered Simnel and Lincoln's rebels, who stood at about 8,000. With Royalist arrows raining down on them, the rebels charged off the high ground where they'd been standing, a wild charge of, of Irish fury and disciplined battle-hardened Swiss mercenaries. The Royalist line buckled at the onslaught. But Henry's veteran, veteran commander from the Battle of Bosworth, the Earl of Oxford, held his men and then he, his archers started to fire on the lightly armoured Irish. The Swiss mercenaries were armed with handguns but they could not match the archers' rate of fire. And then the Earl of Oxford ordered his own charge. The rebels were trapped between the advancing Royalist army and the River Trent behind them. The Battle of Stoke became a bloodbath. Over 4,000 rebels died on the field here and anything between 500 and up to 3,000 Royalists. John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln, was killed in the fighting. Lambert Simnel was captured. Henry had survived the most significant threat to his reign. He also realised that Simnel was a, a puppet and, and part of a, an elaborate hoax. And so rather than executing him, he put him to work in the royal kitchens, where he was to work for the next 20 plus years, uh, and eventually he went on to become a falconer. But the challenge to the Tudor dynasty was not over yet. In 1490, another pretender to the throne appeared, Perkin Warbeck. Once again, bankrolled by Margaret of Burgundy, he claimed to be Richard, the youngest, younger of the two princes from the tower. He attempted to land at Deal in Kent, but his force was defeated before he could even land. Further attempts to raise a rebellion in the north and also in Ireland failed completely. Finally, in September 1497, seven years after his first attempt to land in England, he landed in Cornwall with just 120 men. But marching through the western county, he gathered 6,000 Cornishmen who proclaimed him King Richard IV. His force captured Exeter and then they moved up through the West Country to Somerset. When he heard that government troops were gathering to march against him, he deserted his own men and fled. However, he was captured and paraded through the streets of London to much derision before being imprisoned in the Tower of London. Two years later, in 1499, he and Edward Earl of Warwick attempted to escape and Henry had no compunction in having them both executed. You cross the Tudors at your peril. And still the Yorkist threat wouldn't go away. Enter Edmund de la Pole, Earl of Suffolk, the younger brother of John, Earl of Lincoln. Unlike Warbeck or Simnel, he was definitely a legitimate claimant, arguably with as strong a claim to the throne as Henry himself. After Bosworth, he'd actually sworn allegiance to Henry, 
but well, Henry had never really trusted him and had kept him at court under close supervision. But in 1501, Edmund fled, with a young, fled England with his younger brother, uh, Richard. Fleeing to the continent, they made their way to Austria where the Habsburg Emperor, Maximilian, acknowledged him as the Yorkist pretender, but crucially refused to fund any rebellion. Edmund continued to, uh, to tour Europe seeking support. In 1506, he was travelling to Spain when his ship was blown off course and was shipwrecked in England. Henry VII could not believe his luck. Edmund was quickly arrested, placed under lock, of key, lock and key in the Tower of London. When Henry VIII ascended the throne, he didn't pardon Edmund de la Pole. And four years after that, he actually had him executed. Rather like his father, he was leaving nothing to chance. The very last active Yorkist claimant was Edmund's youngest brother, Richard de la Pole. In 1514, a year after his brother had been executed by Henry VIII, Richard gathered a force of 12,000 in the port of Saint-Malo in France, ready to invade England. And then the tides of European politics changed, and France signed a peace treaty with England, and the King of France quietly wound down Richard de la Pole's venture. Richard remained in France and died in 1525, fighting for the French against the Habsburgs in Italy. But what happened to the fourth brother? Well, William was the only one of the de la Pole brothers never to actually press a claim for the throne. Nevertheless, rather because of his very strong credentials and also that these, his other three brothers were more than willing to challenge the Tudors, he was locked in the tower in 1501, the year that Edmund and his brother Richard absconded to the continent. And he was to remain there as a guest in the Tower of London until his death in 1539. Never an active Yorkist claimant, never executed, William de la Pole does hold a record as the longest ever prisoner held in the Tower of London. There you go. Uh, well, whilst I'm going down rabbit holes, Here's just another one I want to go down. Some people have asked me how Margaret Pole, famously executed in a botched beheading on the orders of Henry VIII, fits in with these, the de la Pole brothers. And the short answer is, she doesn't. She is Margaret Pole, not Margaret de la Pole. Two separate surnames. However, they were related. If you remember that the de la Pole brothers claimed that their claim to their throne was through their mother, Elizabeth de la Pole, sister of Edward IV and Richard III, would you remember there was another brother, George, Duke of Clarence? He had died a traitor, leaving his son, Edward, Earl of Warwick, as a potential leader of the Yorkist cause. And do you remember I said that uh, Henry imprisoned a young, the young Earl of Warwick in the tower and then had him executed in 1499? Well, Edward had an older sister, Margaret Plantagenet, Countess of Salisbury. She married a Welsh supporter, and indeed a cousin, of Henry VII, Richard Pole. Hence her married name, Margaret Pole. So, she was a cousin to the uh, Della Poles, and a potential, potential Yorkist claimant in her own right. Margaret and her sons were to be a thorn in the side for Henry VIII, which, owing to her position in the line of succession, ultimately sealed her fate. Anyway, let's come back up from that particular rabbit hole. Despite his shaky claim to the throne, 
Henry VII was to wear the crown of England for 24 years until his death. Compared to his larger-than-life son, Henry VIII, or his granddaughter, Elizabeth I, Henry's reign was pretty unremarkable, almost boring by comparison. But after the chaos of the Wars of the Roses, Henry sought to bring stability to England. His ingenious taxation of the nobles resulted in a constant stream of revenue coming into the previously empty treasury, as well as making sure that the nobles were never quite as powerful as they'd been during the Wars of the Roses. By increasing the number and the, number and the scope of justices of the peace across the country, carrying, being responsible for law and order, again, he curtailed the power, the ultimate power of some of the really big nobles. But probably Henry's greatest achievement was actually surviving and founding a dynasty which, despite only ruling England for three generations, is still the most talked about in English history. Henry and Elizabeth of York were married for 17 years and by all accounts had a happy marriage. She bore seven children, four of whom were to reach adulthood. Henry used his offspring to increase England's influence on the European stage. His daughter Margaret married King James IV of Scotland. It was an attempt to split the old alliance uh, of, of Scotland and France against England. In the short term, it failed, but ultimately it was Henry's great-great-grandson from this marriage who would wear the crowns of both Scotland as, as James VI and of England as James I. And that effectively did end the old alliance as a military alliance. Another daughter, Mary, was to go on to marry the King of France. Maybe it was his powers of survival, both in the Wars of the Roses and since his ascension, that instinctively made Henry VII aware, before most other European leaders, that the Spanish discoveries in the Americas was going to change the balance of power in Europe towards Spain. And he lost no time in arranging a marriage between his eldest son and heir and the Spanish royal family. The daughter of the King and Queen of Spain married the Prince of Wales. Her name was Catherine of Aragon. You've probably heard of her. You may not have heard of her husband. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Henry VIII heard lots about him. But Catherine initially married Henry's older brother, Prince Arthur. That's right. Henry was not initially heir to the Tudor throne. He was the spare. It was Arthur who was destined to become King of England. Arthur and Catherine travelled to Ludlow Castle in Shropshire, where Arthur had been promoted by his father to be president of the Council of the Marches, which was the body, um, the administrative body, that was charged with governing Wales and the English counties that bordered it. Perfect administrative training for your future King of England and Wales. And there, at Ludlow Castle in 1502, just before his 16th birthday, Prince Arthur died. He's buried in Worcester Cathedral, the King Arthur that England never had. Within a year, Henry's wife, Elizabeth of York, had died after giving birth to a baby girl. The baby girl, Catherine, had only survived a few days herself. Elizabeth was just 37. That same year, Henry escorted his daughter Margaret to the Scottish border as she journeyed to her wedding with the King of Scotland. He was never to see her again. So for the last six years of his life, Henry became more morose, more insular, more listless. He died in 1509 after a reign of 24 years. 
He was succeeded by his second son, who was proclaimed King Henry VIII. It was the first successful handover from a king to an adult son in England in over a hundred years. And now the story of the Tudors really gets going.